Weekend mornings with Glenn Van Zutphen. Replay from Money FM 89.3. Weekend mornings with Glenn Van Zutphen on Money FM 89.3. Time for our international news review. And very happy to have Nicholas Young with me in the studio, the assistant news editor for Yahoo News Singapore. Nick, welcome. Great to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and you used to be in the building here as a reporter, and you've done radio in the past, and now you're doing great things at Yahoo, so it's great to see you back here in uh, Topayo. Yeah, first time back in six years. <laughs> things change a little bit, don't they? Yeah, I was uh, getting flashbacks. Not all of them good. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll try to make today a good memory for you. And Nick, let's get right started in on what's going on in Turkey and Syria with the Kurds. Earlier this week, President Trump unilaterally decided to pull, was it 1,000 or 2,000 American troops mm-hmm. out of that northern Kurdish area as a, as a buffer zone to Turkey. And that, of course, has led to the Turks moving in. Yeah, it came as a surprise. I think top Pentagon officials have said that it were, they were blindsided by the move. And I think the biggest concern here is that because the Kurdish forces have been fighting the Islamic State alongside the Americans for quite a number of years now. Yeah. So there is a fear that in leaving them to their own devices, that they may lead to a resurgence of ISIS. Already, the Turks have launched a ground ground incursions and they've launched airstrikes as well into the border region because the Kurdish forces there, the Syrian Democratic Forces, are closely linked to the PKK, which is an organization in Turkey that has been waging an insurgency for decades. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I surmise that the goal is to break that group and to break their ties to the PKK as well. And from Turkey's perspective, I was reading that one of the reasons they want that border region back is that they've got a couple hundred thousand Syrian refugees in Turkey and they would like to relocate them into that into that region where the Kurds are now. And now that the U.S. has kind of said, hey, we're taking our hands off this, this is, a, is an opportunity for the Erdogan government to actually push back into those areas and resettle the Syrian refugees. Yeah, as of latest figures say that there are something like 3.7 million Syrian refugees in Turkey. That's part of the deal that they signed with the European Union back in March 2016. I think it was something like the deal was that the EU provides something like 6 billion euros in aid and they would host these refugees and prevent them from leaving for Western Europe. Right. But of course, as you can imagine, 3.7 million is a, it's a huge figure. So yeah. I think they're starting to feel the strain as well, economically and perhaps socially as well. Yeah, politically as well, right? Yeah. And but I mean, Erdogan is using, has, has said, I think just the other day he said, you know, if you if you call our invasion of, or rather our, our move into northern Syria uh, ethnic cleansing, if they to call it anything like that, you know, I will unleash 3.6 million refugees on Western Europe. Wow. And one of the other challenges with the U.S. just pulling out, and there was actually an interesting post done by one of the special forces there. Mm -hmm. He came out in an anonymous letter just on a couple of days ago and said this was a huge mistake by the president. Now, this is, you know, one of the troops actually – you know, countermanding his his uh, commander-in-chief, which is a huge deal. But he said, this is a big mistake. We've been working for so long, so hard on counterterrorism. The Kurds there have jailed, I think, 10,000 ISIS fighters. Yeah. And already a few of them have broken out of one of the holding yeah. cells that they've had. So, you know, there is a bigger story here than just the Kurds. It is about fighting ISIS. It's about, you know, at least from what I've read. There was a report the other day about the prison that you mentioned. So it holds Islamic State fighters as well as their family members. So there was a report the other day that said that the Kurds had to prevent a breakout from that prison. So the thing is that you can imagine in the chaos of an invasion, in in the chaos of a ground war, anything can happen. Sure. So if if it does indeed turn out that everyone in that, uh, or at least 
a significant number of them break out, then obviously that's going to create a lot of problems for in the region. And of course, beyond the wider region, we've seen what the so-called lone wolf radicals who mm. say they're inspired by ISIS and then they carry out attacks in various locations around the world. So that's certainly something to be of concern. It's really troublesome. We've already seen uh, France and Germany and several other countries that have said they are going to stop supplying weapons, arms, as they had been doing to Turkey to try to get them to break this. France, Germany, Finland, Norway, the Netherlands, they've all announced that they're stopping arms exports to Syria because of this incursion now into these Kurdish areas. But I just wonder if that's going to be enough because I think at this moment, it looks like Turkey is going fully on it, you know, to try to take back as much land as they can. Well, I think you see in the past, there have been sanctions placed on, for example, North Korea or other so-called rogue nations. But I'm, mm. I'm not, so sure, not so sure how effective that's going to be, mm. especially where, as you said, Turkey is, seems determined to carry out their campaign. I mean, talk is cheap, right? So right. sanctions, well, I'm not so sure how effective that's going to be. Interestingly, too, inside the U.S. politically, Republicans have been very, very vocal against Trump, Republicans and obviously Democrats, uh, for making this move. He made it unilaterally. He didn't consult the Pentagon. He just basically one night decided, we're pulling our troops out. I think it's a 1,000 American special forces and troops. It's between 1,000 and 2,005. Something yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just a couple of thousand, let's put it, let's put it that way. And the Pentagon hadn't even been consulted on this. Yeah. And so, like, literally the next day they were supposed to pull out. And so it's really caused a lot of trouble for him politically at a time when, frankly, he doesn't need any more political upheaval in the White well, House. Well, Trump making unilateral decisions without telling anyone <laughs> is, uh, I think, something you've come to expect over the last four years. Yeah. But yeah, uh, as you say, the Republicans have been uh, very critical of Trump. And it is surprising because on the impeachment uh, inquiry, they've been actively defending the president or just keeping quiet. So, mm. But on this issue, there, seem to be, there seems to be bipartisan consensus, which is almost unheard of these days, that uh, it's a bad move on Trump's part. And even evangelical leaders who have been consistently supportive of Trump have voiced their displeasure over this. Because again, the issue is about they're afraid of a resurgence of the Islamic State. Hmm, hmm. Let's talk about a, a story that looks a little bit better, and that is U.S.-China talks. Now, they yesterday they came out and said that they have made some some strong progress on several areas and phase one of, of a trade deal, a truce, if you will, in the trade war. Where are we on that? And are we really sure that this is going to be something that's going to come to fruition? Well, again, as you say, it's, the, it's just phase one. Hmm. Uh, and in return, Trump has agreed to suspend a tariff hike on something like $250 billion in Chinese goods. Uh, he was going to increase it from 25 to 30%. So, but as they always say, the devil is in the details. Trump himself has said it could take up to five weeks to get a written deal. Yeah. And knowing Trump, I mean, well, there's no guarantee they'll actually keep to this deal. Yeah. So, I mean, on the economic front, that's just the first phase of the attempt to end uh, a 15-month uh, trade dispute. But of course, there's still plenty of outstanding issues. Uh, for example, the current sanctions on Huawei. And there have been some claims that China forces foreign companies to hand over trade secrets. And of course, on another aspect altogether, there's, for example, the ongoing issue in the South China Sea. So it's still a long way to go, whether they can... I, I think Trump said now it's a love fest between the two countries. Yeah. I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, I mean, they were all smiles or pretending to be smiling anyway in the in the White House yesterday. I think the Vice Premier uh, Liu He was, uh, was in the White House with them, Steve Mnuchin, uh, and the Treasury Secretary, and, and of course the, the Chief uh, U.S. Trade Representative. It said something like it's going to take five weeks to even get this all written up. Yeah. So, you know, while these in initial tariffs, like you said, on $250 billion may be put on hold, um, there still is a lot to do in a, in a very short time. Now, having said that, it will be interesting to see what the markets do this 
week. I'm guessing they're going to tick up upward uh, as they open tomorrow in Asia and then tomorrow night in the U.S., uh, just based on the fact that at least there's some positive talk coming on this. And China has pledged to quickly increase purchases of U.S. farm goods to between $40 billion and $50 billion a year. So that you know, if that happens, that'll be good news, right? Well, I think it's fairly clear that both sides recognize that this is not a dispute that can go on forever. It's not good for business. It's not good for uh, investor confidence. They're going to have to find some sort of resolution at some point in time. But of course, another factor that will come to play is that there's an election next year. Sure. So, of course, any sitting president would want to be able to say, hey, I resolved this dispute. You know, this is what I've done. But I suspect we're still going to be talking about the same thing in a year's time. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah, it's not going to go away anytime soon. All right, let's talk about a little bit closer to, to home here in Hong Kong. The mask ban has sent many people out onto the streets. Uh, uh, even uh, Friday and yesterday, there were different demonstrations. Uh, Ledgeco is going to meet now for the first time, is going to sit for the first time this coming week. Uh, and of course, Carrie Lam and her government implemented this face mask ban without Ledgeco input or approval. She is going to do an address, a policy address next Wednesday. And that's going to be really interesting interesting. But where where do you see we are at this moment with the Hong Kong protests? A firebomb was thrown in one of the mm-hmm. MTR stations the other day, yesterday. There's, it still is a hot topic. Huh? I do have a number of friends who are there covering the protests and I, do, I have friends who live there as well. So yeah. I think the sense I'm getting is that both sides have gotten more hardline in their positions. Mm. What started out as peaceful protests has now degenerated into violence uh, every weekend. I mean, you mentioned the, the firebombs. I mean, the MTR station is getting vandalized. Mm. The Lechko has been, uh, building has been vandalized. There's continual clashes between protesters and police. And at least from an outsider's point of view, it doesn't seem there's any end in sight. Yeah. It's, this week is the 20th week of protests already. Wow. So, and also bearing in mind, there were two protesters who have been shot by live rounds. Fortunately, no one has, has died yet. And we can only hope they will stay that way. But as I said, it seems like both sides have gotten more hardline. And every time there's a press conference, every time Carrie Lam comes out to address the issue, there doesn't seem to be any kind of resolution. It doesn't inspire mm. much confidence. And honestly, I don't know what solution there is for this situation in Hong Kong. There was a, a survey that came out that said over 40% of Hong Kong residents now want to emigrate overseas. <laughs> According to a research, this was done by the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Primary motivator was found to be, quote, too much political dispute and social issues. And that was almost 30%. Three most favored countries were Canada at 17%, Australia at 13%, and Taiwan at 12%. So no Singapore? Uh, Singapore wasn't there. No, not, not in the top three anyway. But it's very interesting that really, you know, 40%, that's a yeah. big number of people that would just assume leave and get out while they can. Um, interestingly, too, as of Friday, something like almost 2,400 people had been arrested for the face mask ban by wearing a face mask, a third of them under the age of 18. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So, uh, you know, Carrie Lam's government is is calling on parents to make sure their kids stay home. But you've got kids, like young kids that are being arrested for wearing face masks. Uh, And that's a whole other dimension to this. Yeah, I mean, wearing face masks, it's a very common thing across Northeast Asia because... For health reasons. Yeah, yeah. pollution in Hong Kong is really bad. Yeah. So, I mean, the first thought was, well, how are you going to enforce this? Are you really going to arrest everybody who wears a mask? Yeah. But, I mean, it is, it is obviously a chaotic situation there. I mean, as, as, the, as the figures we just cited, 40% of Hong Kongers are actually thinking of emigrating. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, of course, this is not about emigration, but I mean, just the other week, there was an event that was supposed to be held in Hong Kong, the Digital Journalism Summit, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and then they moved it to Singapore because of concerns about safety. Yeah. So this sort of thing is going to happen time and again. People will be concerned about 
safety and rightly so. If you've got young kids who are taking to the streets and you've got old people as well, I think it suggests that there are deep-rooted issues that need to be addressed. Again, I don't know what the solution is, but... Well, yeah. we, we haven't seen any of those issues being addressed. You know, the the independent police uh, investigation into police, mm-hmm. you know, the universal suffrage, obviously that's not something that's probably ever going to be agreed to. But the the Lamb administration has not been very responsive to to really having a dialogue with with the protesters on if, their well, main If you issues. recall, there was a report where there was a recording of Carrie Lam that was leaked, yeah. where, and she basically said, "Well, I have to serve two masters and yeah, yeah. in Beijing and in Hong Kong, so I'm caught in a bind." So, well, which of course we all yeah. have always known anyway, right? Yeah, That's, so, you know, she's in a tough spot. Yes, yeah, doesn't seem to be any end in sight. Let's finish off with something a little bit lighter. Alligators and a <laughs> moat around the, the border wall that President Trump wants to build between the U.S. and Mexico. He came up with all kinds of interesting ideas about how he could keep people from climbing that wall or digging under it. Alligators, though? Really? Uh, it, it's Piranhas? The, What's next? I don't know. Laser beams? It's from a New York Times report, <laughs> and it's, it may possibly be the greatest paragraph ever written in, in, in a news report. So he talked about, quote, quote-unquote, fortifying a border wall with a water-filled trench stocked with snakes or alligators, prompting aides to seek a cost estimate. I, I don't even want to know what that process was like. I mean, you call the zoo and hide. You have, like, alligators to spare. You know? and, and he wanted to... And he was... So, again, according to the NYT, they said that he wanted to... He suggested that they shoot migrants in the legs to slow them down and they had to tell them that that's illegal. They can't do that. Oh, boy. It's a crazy world out there. (laughs) Well, Nicholas Young, assistant news editor, Yahoo News, Singapore. Thanks so much for coming in the studio today to help out with the International News Review. Thank you. Hope you'll come back again. I hope so. (laughs) Have a great day. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.